being prepared for any emergency and the unofficial kickoff for summer. Get out your white belts and shoes and wear them if you got them, or, or please don't. All this and more on the May 31st, 2016 edition of the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust. As always, the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust, is brought to you by Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill, Anderson's best restaurant, heck, South Carolina's best restaurant. If you haven't been to Sullivan's lately, ask yourself why. The most amazing lunches or dinners anywhere. In fact, Sullivan has been chosen one of the top restaurants in the country. Uh, They were named uh, Open Table's top 100 restaurants in the nation, and they're one of only two in South Carolina to make any of the top list of restaurants here in the South. People drive from as far away as Atlanta and Charlotte and come from Greenville, of course, all the time to eat there. Bill Nickerson and his wife, Sabre, kicked off the revitalization of downtown Anderson really about 18 years ago now, and it just started the renaissance, and that restaurant's gotten better and better. They got new menu items now. If you haven't been in lately, go check that out. And of course, their desserts are unparalleled anywhere. Uh, best cheesecakes in the world. Their coconut cake—you uh, just can't beat it. And you just—if you haven't tried them, go by there and ask for dessert. Solomon's Metropolitan Grill downtown Anderson is as good as it gets, and you can visit them on Facebook or online to look at their full menu items and see some of the new menu items. So I hope to see you down there because I'm down there a good bit. It has been another great week in Anderson with the unofficial kickoff of summer here. The heat and humidity decided to join the party early. It has been hot and humid. It's felt more like July. But the good news is that summer produce is on the way in the Anderson County Farmer's Market and the Anderson Farm and Food Association are back in full swing. Not a little tomatoes, not quite yet, but very soon, very soon. I'm going to go see if there's any Thursday. Go ahead and buy your Duke's mayonnaise and get you a fresh loaf of white bread and get your salt and pepper ready, just in case somebody has one or two little red ones that they squeezed off the vine early. But that first tomato sandwich of summer is the season's equivalent of Christmas, um, seriously. So let's get ready for that. So we can put up a little heat and humidity at least till we get our first batch or two of summer tomatoes and we'll start getting tired of it all. Farmer's Market, of course, will start opening from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Thursday to begin their summer schedule of Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday at that time. And, of course, every Tuesday nights, the Farm and Food Association open now through August on Tuesday nights from 4.30 to 7.30. Hope to see you all out there. Uh, I know I plan on visiting both of them in the weeks ahead, and I'm, I'm a regular. So I'd like to be there when that elusive first tomato comes in, just like everybody else. I, I don't hope there's not a fist fight over it. Uh, last year when the first tomatoes came in, people were in line and just getting ugly. Maybe not this year. <laughs> there's a lot going on, but the biggest event this week is this weekend, and it's the Saluda River Rally. Starts Friday night with camping and goes into full swing Saturday morning with kayaking and tubing down the Saluda along with long and short trips. There's a lot of things going on. They'll have bluegrass music, a bunch of other outdoor exhibits and events, and the rally concludes Sunday with more river activities and a free barbecue uh, benefit Saluda River Grill. The Special Olympics athletes will be there to serve, and it's a benefit to, to raise money for that. It's at Dolly Cooper Park, and... I want to thank the folks who've been working hard to put this on. It's the seventh annual, as hard as that is to believe. Uh, Matt Shell, who's director of Anderson County Parks, had a lot to say about that when I sat down and talked to him about it. Okay, I'm talking to Matt Shell about the Saluda River Rally. Now, this is the seventh, is that right? Seventh year. Wow. Seventh year of the River Rally. So, um, it's it's a, it's very exciting that seven years. We've got... Our First of all, num- tell people what it is. Okay. So people have never been out to the, so, okay. the Saluda River Rally. What right. is it? The Saluda River Rally is the best way to introduce um, the natural resource that we have in, in upstate South Carolina to the community. So the Saluda River is something that is um, is an amazing it's an amazing water trail. Uh, it actually leads certainly from the mountains to the sea if you stay on it long enough. 
Um, but up in up, up in Anderson, uh, up in the upper area of Anderson County in Powdersville area, you have this little river which actually runs connects, um, you know, uh, Powdersville to Piedmont. So that was the original. That was our original phase one of our corridor master plan, which was actually 48 miles long. So our initial phase one was Dolly Cooper, which is in Powdersville, down to Piedmont, to the Piedmont Dam, right there at the fire department and um, Soda River Grill. Um, so that was about a nine-mile corridor that we were looking to make ADA accessible. We have one piece of it. Um, the other piece we were working on but ran into size constraints, um, actually down in Piedmont. So we couldn't put in actually the, the takeout location. So we have informal locations that we use right now while Greenville County has actually purchased recently a piece on the opposite side of the river, but it's something that's going to give us Dolly Cooper Park down at the bottom in Piedmont. So we're going to actually bring up the ADA corridor together. So the river rally is really the way to introduce, um, promote our 48-mile development plan, promote the river corridor, promote kayaking, outdoor recreation, uh, it's something, even the historic dam trail. You know, of the, the six sections of the 48-mile corridor, seven dams actually create it, from the Little Lake Dam all the way down to the Town of Ware Shoals Dam. And that's just one middle section of the whole entire Little River um, development plan, which is really, the larger picture is about 126 miles long in upstate South Carolina. So we're really looking at the middle section, the heartbeat of it, because it's really right around the I-85 corridor, Powdersville, Piedmont, Greenville, easily. It's just a, it's a very popular place, high-density place, and it's a great way to get out and enjoy the river, um, whether it's tubing, rafting, fishing, um, or kayak fishing. So it's for kayakers and tubers and... It's for kayakers, tubers, anglers, um, people ages 7 to 70. We coined that a couple so of years ago. So beginners, too? I mean, if some, if somebody's is just got a kayak but has barely ever taken it out, are they okay at this rally? Come this on. rally, this section of river is a great place to learn. Um, we actually put people on, and for historically from the beginning, we put people on the two-and-a-half-mile section, which we actually partner with the um, the. Soda River Kayak Fishing Club, which their location is just the first parcel in um, Pickens County. And that's two and a half river miles up. And there's all that is is just flowing water. So if you're learning to paddle, it's a gentle way to get you the river to help you along the way, kind of get your get your sea legs and uh, and just enjoy yourself. You can zigzag a little bit. Two and a half miles takes you about an hour or so to paddle. Um, a couple years ago, we introduced a, an additional location above um, the Kayak Fishing Club, in, in which is actually south of the Slough Lake Dam, and it was actually at a, at a um, large private estate where they were able to let us drop people in in the morning, and that allowed a six-and-a-half-mile paddle. Now, that is where if you've been paddling before, you're certainly going to enjoy the longer run. It's going it's to be in excess of two hours, but you're also going to encounter some Class 1 shoals, um, some, some little little bumps in the water to, to make your hair stand up, but it's something that just to enjoy. Um, and certainly the worst part is if you fall, up, if you fall out of the boat, just about anywhere, all you have to do is stand up. So it's a it's a it's a family friendly, it's family friendly corridor, family family friendly event. Uh, we have everybody ages all ages and, and abilities actually come out. Um, whether it's a um, couple couple ladies came out joined us two years ago that had um, life limiting um, degenerative diseases, um, or they had life limiting degenerative um, afflictions that really were where kayaking on the river was one of the one of the things that they wanted to do on their bucket list. Um, so outfitted with canoes and and um, flanking boats along the side, we were actually we've been able to fulfill a couple wishes of, of some local 
upstate residents and get them on the Little River for the first time. Um, and smiles all the way down. Our Special Olympic athletes run down with us. Uh, we have canoes. We have people that bring inflatable rafts. Um, but it's ages seven to seventy. It's a great time. We open up kayaking. We open up the the park for camping. Just that one weekend alone. So there's no place on this little river in in Anderson County where you can camp. It's a nice place to be on the river here. That see how wide it is. Just get out and play, swim around a little bit. Um, and just and just be outdoors, especially in the Powdersville area. It puts it, it puts the opportunity right at your fingertips. So people need to bring their own tube or boat or whatever. Yeah. We recommend bringing your own boat or tube. Uh, it's something that will certainly expedite you getting on the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have them available by uh, Grady's Great Outdoors, Sunrift. Uh, we have some we have some outfits that we actually rent from because the response has been. Um, so people can rent a boat if they get there. Well, I, I say we rent them so that people can use them oh, I see. Um, on Saturday. Okay. So ultimately, we, you know, our growth from, I think the first year at our event, um, you know, six years ago, I think we we hit, when we were over a hundred people. Um, we were over a hundred people for for Saturday, which is the revolving trip, and it's just two and a half miles. So we were putting, you know, more than a hundred people on the river, um, you know, all out on Saturday. Sunday was like eighty people. Um, they came back out, and that's mostly, and they were renting. So we'll rent boats out to people on Sunday, but Saturday is just a free. Everybody kind of comes, and so we do have lines. So we do have a, you know, we queue up just like any good ride at Dollywood. There's going to be a little bit of a line, but we have shuttles with Senior Solutions worked out and Special Olympics, and then Anderson County's hauling boats and kayaks and people up and down, just being as, as trying to get people on the river as, as safely and efficiently as possible. But you know, so from year one, we had in excess of 100 people. Last year, we had uh, we had 450 people on Saturday. Wow. So How we're do you seeing, expect this time? Yeah. We uh, we expected to breach 600, um, to be honest. We're looking to start a little bit earlier this year. Um, we're looking to put more people on the two-and-a-half-mile section because that's where we turn over our boats quicker. Um, you know, on a little bit of a stall, slow period last year, we, we were sending people up on the six-and-a-half. And if somebody gets a chance for... You know, a two and a half mile paddle or or a six and a half. A lot of people just like to go to go big, or a lot of people have been kayaking before. Well, so, so people who are beginners, because I've had several beginners ask me about this. That mm-hmm. I, you know, they come and they they bring their kayak and they put in there, and then somebody picks them up and helps them get their boat back. Or how do yeah, they, or do they park down the other end? Right. Or how does that work? We'll have a drop off down by the river, and we're going to look because of our because of our growth. We're looking to, to redefine uh, re restructure the layout because ultimately people come down drop their boats right there in the parking lot at dolly and then as and everybody signs in must sign in to get a wave or get a bracelet give you a bus number and as the bus number comes up we pull the kayak put it on a trailer put you on a bus um if you brought a buddy that does not have a kayak then we're, we're lining one up to go up with you or it's already up there so it's just a it's just a it's a it's a dance all day long just trying to get people lined up where they need to be the Certainly, the trying to get the hope is to get the the truck carrying the kayaks at the same place where the people are going. Right. So we had a couple couple little funny boggles last year, but but it's all good fun. Um, everybody's real good hearted about it. Uh, we've had you know rain or shine. We run the event a couple years ago. We actually on the Sunday event had uh, had tornado warnings coming down in Belton. Um, so a lot of good weather, a lot of heavy rain, some thunder, some dark skies, but. We actually didn't lose anybody. Everybody that, that planned on going kayaking went in the water that day, and they got out safely. Everybody was a little bit, little wet and a little muddy at the end of it. But, um, but it's uh, between the assistance with the local fire departments. It's uh, Pattersville, Piedmont, Parker, 
Um, Croswell also up there um, above us plays a big role. Um, but Slitter River Grill puts on the barbecue at the end of the event on Sunday. You know, there's bluegrass all day long Saturday. Uh, and then Slitter River Archery comes out. They've been a partner since the beginning. They set up some life-size targets for kids to shoot out with bows and kind of introduce them to, to archery. Um, disc golf course we've had it certainly a different couple times. Hasn't been as popular. Um, so it's, it's exciting. We're, we've got actually the most return of interest um, for camping this year. So we're going to be pretty heavy on the camping, um, or heaviest yet, which is going to be nice. Right. Uh, definitely nice. The local play organization, the Powersville League for Athletic Youth. So they can stay Friday night and Saturday Friday night, night and Saturday night. Okay. Um, so it's, uh, we're, it's a two-day event. Let's remind everybody what it is. Okay, two-day event. You're right. Two-day event. We're circulating June, um, the... June 4th and 5th. Free on Saturday. We're accepting donations. You can buy a T-shirt. Um, this is a special Olympics fundraiser event for Area 13, Area 14. I'm sorry to bring to send a couple of the athletes to the national game. So it's a, a great cause. Actually, some of the money this year too is also going to help some of the, the some other local organizations, um, nonprofits that that assist us in in waterway conservation. So um, so it's a great event. Again, two days, all free on Saturday, except unless you wanted to buy a T-shirt or buy some of the food. Um, and then Sunday is one single launch from Dolly Cooper. Leaving at one um, and paddling, it'll take about three hours to get down to Piedmont. Again, we've already shuttled at this point your vehicles down to the takeout. So as you come up, you're just buckling it all down and and heading down to the grill where the um, Angela and Randy Boggs have put on a very nice, um, very nice spread for everybody and just kind of wind down there. So phenomenal event. We've got 13 billboards out in upstate South Carolina. Nice so billboards. I like to look good. They look, they look really nice. We got them as far as 385. 385, a lot of local towns around here, um, places that we haven't seen. So, and Sounds like a party, website. big party. It's going to be. It's, it's growing. Um, People need to bring them. If, they've got, if you do have a tube or a, or a uh, kayak, bring it. Right. Uh, life jackets if you have them. A must. You can't go on the river without life jackets. Right. That's tubing or kayaking, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah, but singles. But there'll be some extra ki- uh, life jackets if people only have one or something. Correct. Yeah, we like to look to have some on hand. Grady's normal hooks us up with some extras. Um, we're actually looking into them some now. So it's just it's just a great weekend for friends and family to come out and just enjoy the river and and um and just and just enjoy the outdoors. Now, Matt, you're a big kayaker. I I'm I wish I could say yes, I'm a big kayaker, but come um, but I don't kayak as often as I would like. But our our family will squeeze on to one tandem kayak, and we go out on the lake a, l- a good little bit. Okay. So not so much on the river. We'll do a lot of lake paddling, but here come the river rally. We'll run down a couple times checking for snags and, and strainers across the river getting ready. I'm a lot, I've never seen a tandem department. kayak, I don't guess. No, it's it's basically okay. they take the shape of a canoe. You just sit on top of two tandems, and they have a little seat that, that wraps around to hold you up. Right. And my wife, we each put one of our kids in our, in our laps oh, and just – and just head on. So there'd be four. So you can use it by yourself if you had to, but it's, you it's can use it by yourself, and um, and it and it could work real well. It just gets harder to, to haul around. Now, you've been involved in this a long time. Is there a long range goal to expand this kayak? Uh, the event or the corridor? The corridor. Yeah, you've talked about the corridor before. I know. Yeah, the corridor really. Um, I mean, since ever since we partnered with the National Park Service a couple of years ago with Bill Lane, he's been instrumental in really trying to help facilitate and foster a true um, mountains-to-the-sea paddling corridor. So Anderson County is part of um, an upstate paddle, uh, a South Carolina paddle consortium where we try to actually, and it's, I think it's Paddle SC, but that's really to to promote all the river trails in South Carolina, be a part of a larger 
um, network of, of users and, and paddling organizations. So we're certainly promote paddling not just here in upstate, but across the upstate and certainly where we can connect to up into the mountains and work down through Columbia, out to the lowlands and, and out actually to Charleston. So, you know, between that, between the 48-mile corridor, which is really it's above Anderson County and then below Anderson County. Um, but then we're also, we also actually consort in, or consult in the upstate. Um, Union County actually pulled us in to try and give, give them a hand on just some just informal initial discussions to see what they could do and what assets, just so they're not trying to recreate the wheel. So we've but been, you actually could get on the Saluda River and go all the way to the coast? On the, on a, you can, actually. We, we came real we'll close last year to pulling the trigger on that. Um, last year was 20, the 25th anniversary of ADA. So that was a big year when actually the tour bus came to town. It was a national tour. And the, the tour bus went to basically all these major cities. And when it came to Anderson, it came to just, it was listed as, as Anderson by itself. It wasn't one of these major cities like New York, Philadelphia. Um, it came to Anderson because there was a lot for the city and the county that actually recognized and qualified as 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 significant achievements in ADA, Green Pond Landing being one of them because it's the only it's the only facility of its kind in the southeast that's ADA accessible. Um, again, Saluda River, the, uh, the Saluda, uh, the kayak launch at Dolly Cooper, which is on the Saluda River, that was the first ADA accessible kayak launch in the state of South Carolina when we opened it in 2012. Uh, again, Brown Road, uh, 160 foot fishing pier on Lake Hartwell, something that you will never see. Um, close to it on on this lake on 56,000 acres this is the only one of its size it feels like it's something that you would might find in charleston or on the shore yeah that's so a great brown road's great that's a great pier it's right amazing it's totally accessible like I said totally accessible from parking space down to the ramp it's got an 80 foot gangway it's a it's a, just a it welcomes people out there and this, and this is a fairly recent thing in history that people who have physical challenges can participate in things like this. I mean, it's, well, it's it's un, it's unfortunate it's taken this long for really to start seeing some of these projects come up or some of these projects um, be recognized or or, or implemented. Um, right. Certainly, ADA has been here. You know, the the laws in place have been in place for like twenty five years at least. You know, some to, to different degrees, but it's just implementation is 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 what's is what um, is slowly really, you're starting to really see some change now, whatever it may be. So you know, the river, the kayak, the kayaking corridor, the 48-mile corridor that it is, you know, we're looking for um, ADA, we're looking for sections along the river between the cities and between the dams that are ADA accessible, but we unfortunately won't be able to implement, um, practically implement the access points as the portage points. Because that's where you have the topo chains, like right there at the dam. So you're dealing with a lot of private, par- a lot of private par- property, um, and just kind of and just constraints. So as far as the access, as long as we can get you from top to the bottom, and then you can say drive down to the next location, you can still paddle the corridor. And ultimately, in time, there's a lot of there's a lot of corridors along this along this waterway, the watershed to the shore. That are already implemented, so we're not starting from scratch. And this is, you know, the idea that's, you know, started in Anderson County. But it, you know, in the Upstate, uh, really, there's, you know, Anderson County has been leading the charge in the Upstate for towards a formal corridor. Greenville County and Anderson together are really partnering to take on the lion's share in this middle 48 section. You know, down below us, there's a lot going on in, in Greenwood. Some of the lakes are already have established trails, parks, um, things below where shoals. So pretty soon you don't you just need to kind of close the gaps and then you can actually paddle. It might take you actually two months. Um, and there's a few people that have done it, but they've paddled from 
from the mountains to the sea. A professor did that from, I think it was from Wofford a few years back and wrote a book about it. He had a lot of support along the way from students during a class. But it's amazing. He, he was able to um, you know, document a lot, a lot of research. And there are some sketchy sections. There are some dangerous sections where like a dam has been removed in Columbia and it literally is treacherous. Like you have to portage around it because whereas the dam was removed, there are there are some holes and there's some rebar and there's some um, some entrapment points. So mm. there's a couple sections along the corridor that you would have to establish a portage around. But other than that, if you time it at the right time, and we Anderson County will do this, um, if you know to, in this probably next year in 2017, but we'll look to do like a fall trip leaving um, above Anderson County and, and paddling the entire length and working at some of the portages and then coming out in Charleston. So it's, it, again, it's something just to, and we're going to do this along with, um, in conjunction with Greenville County and a lot of the upstate forever, uh, just to just to keep um, reminding people that it's there and working towards a common goal and grants and, and working towards access points. Well, June 4th and 5th, to be honest, the best place to find information is the website? The website is slitteriverrally.com. People need to register or? We're looking for people to register, especially if they're going to camp. Um, we're trying to work out a scheduling for for schedule times for kayaks as well, but a lot of that's going to be dependent on how many we bring in, how much we involve the six-and-a-half-mile, um, whether we even bring people that are using our complimentary kayaks to the six-and-a-half-mile, just use those for, and we'll carry people on their own. Um, so it kind of depends on a couple of things that need to be ironed out still. But, yes. Uh, the fourth and fifth at Dolly Cooper Park. Um, it's one of it's one seventy Spearman Circle. Um, it's actually Greenville zip code two nine six two do, even right. though it's in Anderson County. It's basically off of Highway eighty one. Um, but June fourth and fifth, basically, um, you know, running like nine to five on Saturday, and then the float trip on Sunday is is leaving, launching at one. So you have to be there probably you know eleven thirty twelve o'clock. And then kind of taking out barbecue and just a great time. So uh, phone number to the office is 864-231-7275. Again, the address, the the, um, the web address is www.slewriverrally.com. And, and mainly if you're camping, you need to register. There are other people don't need to register. So correct. No, you don't need to. We'll, we'll be taking the walk-ins and working them in, right. and especially on the schedule. If we get to turn loose, the schedule will be within. It'll be by the end of this week so people can pick some times. Okay. And it's just, it's saluteriverrally.com, right? Yes. That's it. All right. Well, thanks, Matt. Look forward to seeing you. Thank you, sir. Matt has such a passion for Anderson Parks and also to make them accessible to all of our citizens. He's done a great job out there. If you see him, tell him so and tell him you heard the interview and hope people will turn out. There's expecting hundreds out there for this this weekend. And I hope the weather holds off better than the forecast look like right now. But you never know. We'll probably get some good weather and have some good times Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night, and Sunday. Uh, I plan on being out there at the rally on Saturday if nothing happens, so hope to see you there. There's some other good news coming out into the parks and the areas out at Green Pond in particular. In addition to all these national bass tournaments, it seems like we have one every other weekend now. It's just we've gotten used to it. We, we, we've taken it for granted how amazing it is to have National Bass Association tournaments here. But they've already set a big one for next year. It's the 2017 Military Team Bass Championship, uh, and it's going to be at Green Pond for the first time. It's a big announcement. 
and uh, I hope people will really support that. It's our armed services fishing teams, and it'll be a first to have them out here and another feather in the cap for all the stuff going at Green Pond. If you remember, Green Pond is continuing. It's just in the early, the finishing parts of phase one. Phase two is coming. Going to add some more building. And phase three, there's a lot more things in the plans if we can get the funding and find ways to do it. I hope to get, get it done quickly. Green Pond's a great place. If you haven't been out there, you to go out and take a look at it. It's a lot of fun. Now, downtown demolition is continuing on the old Bales building. It's really slow, but uh, Russell Motes is driving his big tractor, again, like an artist, and tearing out the bales from the front this time rather than the back. There's a lot more steel. It's a lot taller building. It's much slower going, and they are salvaging everything as they go. So if you want to get by and catch them, you'll catch some shoveling and a lot of salvaging. The Benson Street side of the building has kind of been knocked open as well. Stay tuned for more updates on Facebook, the Anderson Observer, Greg Wilson Anderson Observer Facebook account, and I do live updates from downtown. And so you can get the latest there, or you can just look at the AndersonObserver.com and, and see what's going on there. Which reminds me, I'm looking for people who worked at the Woolworths building or at Bales downtown for a video project that I'm working on. You can email me at gwilson at andersonobserver.com if you or someone you know might be willing to help and be willing to go on video and talk about their great times they had working or just memories they have of the old Woolworth, F.W. Woolworth or Bales department store downtown. Well, speaking of downtown, Glenn Breed, the economic development officer for downtown, who's been around a couple years, resigned this week. No real word why, but uh, look, downtown seems to need direction. Um, Innovate Anderson is really not going to make the kind of differences that that I'm, they're thinking they might make, at least from my opinion and from where I sit, uh, no matter what changes they make in their structure. And I really am not convinced, unless I can make a better argument, that the county needs to cooperate much more. The county's doing a great job of economic development. The problem seems to be, and I've talked to a number, I've talked to a number of business folks wanting to move downtown, and the default answer when they ask about it is no. It's difficult. They make it harder than it needs to be when local businesses seek to relocate downtown. And I'm sure that same is true for out-of-town businesses. The atmosphere of discouragement needs to change, along with the approach to attracting significant retail business downtown Anderson. We've got some great restaurants. I mentioned Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill. There's a lot of others. And a few shops, which are wonderful, but a lot more is needed. We've got Carolina Wren Park down there. It's really growing. We've got the parking garage, plenty of parking. But the city could take a few lessons from the county in bringing in new business, offering whatever incentives it takes to get retail downtown as that downtown continues to grow. Uh, there's a new oyster bar coming downtown. There's a lot of new things happening. It's a great place. There's more and more people living downtown. Could use some more living space downtown. Uh, of course, uh, we've got the... Um, the new conference center at Steve Kay's building, which will be wonderful. And I just, I just hope that the new building built behind the courthouse where the demolition is going on is going to show the way and that the county can take the lead in showing how to do some downtown development as they do a mixture of retail and uh, private, uh, private and public space in that building. And speaking of showing the way, there's one organization in the county that is showing the way wherever disaster strikes in this state. It's the first office in the state called whenever there's a big problem, flooding, hurricanes, whatever. It's Anderson's Emergency Services Department. Uh, they've been very active over the years in helping folks uh, recover from things. We've sent a huge team down and received. It's continued to receive uh, just heaping praise from other folks in the state. Well, I talked to Emergency Services Director Taylor Jones about some of the new challenges that face preparedness agencies across the state, including dealing with active assailants, people who walk into businesses, schools, churches, and just start shooting. Okay. I'm talking to Taylor Jones, who's in charge of, he's chief deputy and executive, exec, I forget your title, and something of emergency, you're in head of emergency services, right? I think the best way to do that is I'm the, the director of emergency director services. Director of emergency That's, services, yeah. everything. Yeah. And we're catching up with Taylor today because you just got back for some training on 
serious. One of them was a, a first-person shooter kind of thing. It seems or active shooter, whatever they're calling it now. First-person shooter, I guess, is a video game. Active shooter kind of situations like they had in Charleston. You just went to a conference where they were talking about. Yeah, we actually went to a, a conference in Charleston, myself and Captain Littleton that works with me here at Emergency Services. And so uh, one of the things that we've been doing is the Anderson Strong Program where we've been promoting what to do during the first 48 minutes of an active shooter situation, which is typical response time it takes to get law enforcement on scene engage that threat and remind everybody what active shooter is in case they don't know what we're talking well, about. Well I I like to use the term active assailant instead of an active shooter because in a lot of when you look at the history of active assailants, they use knives sometimes to carry on and perpetrate these acts of violence. They also use uh, you know IEDs. You're seeing a lot of improvised explosive devices being used. Uh, you know uh, the recent attack in uh, San Bernardino uh, you've seen the use of remote control explosive devices and things that were set out. Uh, they didn't work real well, but people were in the mindset of doing it. You know, one of the worst, uh, you know, casualties that was ever uh, inflicted on a school was done by, uh, I believe, in 1927, uh, and uh, it was done with uh, guy actually put explosive devices, built it into a school, dynamite, and then used a gas bomb you know, and, and basically blew the whole thing up. So, you know, these things have been going on for a long time. They've become, uh, I, I guess, a very, you've seen a very much steady increase probably in the last three years. And uh, so what we were looking at in Charleston was the mindset behind the people to do this and about how we can prevent them ahead of time. Uh, things to look at, uh, how to train your educators, how to be prepared, you know, in a church, how to, you know, educate the church staff and their security and uh, know what a person with a concealed weapon can do and cannot do and be able to teach that in the community. Um, not just from, a protect, uh, from them protecting themselves, but, you know, what is their liability when they do engage someone like that? You know, what is, uh, what's their chances of getting shot? You know, a lot of the active assailant situations and stuff you see, there's a big risk of what they call blue on blue. So you may have a police officer there, you know, and you don't realize that's the police officer. You think it's active assailant, you know, and, and shoot the wrong person because he's an undercover officer or something. So, um, you know, our program, we, we're going to um, keep working strong to promote it in the community. Y'all have already been teaching this here for a good yeah. while. Yeah, we've been teaching it for about three years Remind now. Remind people got, the basic three things. That... The whole run, hide, fight, de deny, defend, survive, unite. You know, that those are the things... Uh, so the first thing you do, run away. If you can get out the run, door. Exactly. It's hard to shoot a moving target. So if you can get people moving, and the first time you hear a gunshot, you know, put time, distance, and shield in between you. Don't freeze in place, because if you freeze in place, you could die in place. So those are things that we really try to promote a different kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. Always knowing your situational awareness. Uh, know how to lock down a room. Think so about if you can't it run, you exactly. hide. Try to hide. Exactly. Like, so if the shooter's between you... And, and, and the way to run out, then the next best thing to do is to lock your doors, barricade yourself in, use heavy objects and, and, and to barricade that door. Because what you're doing, you may not stop him, but you may buy enough time to help him get on the way. And the other, the other thing that I, while you're running, you need to be calling 911. Because the sooner that 911 call takes place and that all call goes out to all our first responder agencies that this is happening, is all hands on deck type response. So, you know, it's just not law enforcement coming. It's the fire department coming. It's EMS coming. 
because in these situations create mass casualties events and we need all that first responder community there to take care of those citizens so how long does it usually take response to get to a church or a school or a business or well the national standard uh if you look across is about eight minutes okay. so you've got so, to survive for eight minutes yeah. if you can run away or hide for eight minutes you and and the other thing is the last result is be able to fight okay okay so we teach people how to uh fight you know as a last resort we we teach them how, the tools that may be in their common surroundings to be able to use remind some of those, and, uh, some of those kind of things well a fire extinguisher okay if you, a guy can't see to shoot you if he's got fire extinguisher uh, sprayed in his face and eyes and, and stuff. You and know. you can hit him with a fire and, extinguisher. And then you can hit him with a fire extinguisher. You know, you got flagpoles in the room that can be used, you know, to, you know, fight back with. You got chairs. You got chairs with rollers on to roll casters out to the casualty collection points. Um, you've got, uh, you know, heavy objects. Uh, you got letter openers that can be used as knives. You got scissors that may be in a drawer that can be used, you know. Um, so, you know, it's having all those things and having an attack plan where not just one person attacks, but it's kind of a herd mentality against somebody with overwhelming force. You know, uh, you, I, I say we've got to use the shock and awe, you know, when we're going after somebody like that. And then we teach them to look for opportunities when that person may be reloading. You know, when, you know, they don't have any bullets and, you know, they, they fire it all and you wait till the shooting stops and you look for them to reload and then you attack. Well, people yeah. have not had that mindset of fighting because they thought, well, if I lay low, nobody. But now they're just shooting people under tables and under. So you told me one time some statistics of people who fight back versus those who don't. The survival rate's much, much higher, right? It, it is. It's, it's almost 80% of those who fight back always survive. It's also up in the 90% those people that believe they'll live always do live and survive. And so, it's, it, you know, if you get shot, don't think that that's the end of the world because with modern-day medicine, you know, survivability rate of a gunshot wound, if it's not, you know, a lethal shot, it's pretty high. And y'all put a lot of these kits in places around town, right? Yeah, we put safety walls all over the community. Which have stretchers and uh, they, they, have, they have litters in them. They have tourniquets in them to stop bleeding. They have uh, packing material to pack the wound. They have uh, uh, constrictive uh, bandaging that's pressure bandaging that, that helps stop the bleeding. Uh, have, um, you know, things in there to stop the burning process you know, for a burn um, and how to treat it, you know, uh, how to treat simple fractures. So there's a lot of things in that, and that's part of the Anderson Strong training. It's not just what to do during the four to eight minutes for us fighting back, run, hide, and fight, but it's also about providing that emergency medical care to people, teaching people the basics on how to deal with penetrating trauma and how to stop the bleeding. And the bonus of that, that kit's produced locally here. That's right. Tactical Medical Solutions produces... Uh, one version, and he's also in Greenville on uh, North America Rescue that does some things. So you've got two local companies that are mil military suppliers that has also come out with civilian solutions to work. Um, we're going to kick off in September a emergency preparedness month. Um, we're going to try to do several things to promote uh, CPR training, AED use, and the active assailant type events, what to do, and uh, quick training that we're going to do there. And we're also hoping with some uh, a color run and a uh, river rally type thing that we're going to do to raise some money and some awareness and actually use that to put kits, more kits, out in the community. And y'all have already done the school districts and 
colleges and universities and a lot of businesses and stuff around here has already done all that. So yeah, we've got a strong. You continue to do those we, training. We've got yeah. a strong relationship with all of the schools and universities about that. We go through annual drills and exercises with them. We've worked with the Chamber of Commerce to promote it in our small businesses. We work with some of the larger businesses and, and the training in the community with them, and we continue to do that. So, you know, anything we can do to make Anderson safer, uh, you know, we're all about it. So if uh, citizens like to call us at, then call uh, our non-emergent number at 260-4444 and say that you'd like to talk to the Emergency Services Department uh, about an active assailant training program for your uh, workplace, and we'll, we'll see what we can do to help. Well, this is a part of what, and you know, I've discussed this, I think, last year when we were on, you were on the podcast about a large percentage of what you do here, you hope you never need to use. I mean, you, you're, you're talking about uh, you know, bad weather stuff, uh, active assailant stuff, the different things that y'all are prepared for. And that's one of the things that separates Anderson County out from a lot of other counties in terms of emergency preparedness. A lot of them just have somebody there, if there's an emergency, they call them, but they're not prepared, right? Well, we try to build a resilient community here. That's kind of the mindset that we have, and that's what our council's directed us to do. Um, and that means that you've got to go into the community. Like right now, we got the home and park revitalization program going on, and we we're working to build that community more disaster resilient. You know, a disaster is a term. You know, disaster may be from a tornado coming through, but it also may be from just poor economy. You know, in that area. You know, that's causing people not to be able to get past the poverty line. So, you know, that's a disaster to those families. And um, if, if we're not producing jobs and we're not, you know, we just recently sponsored a jobs fair and a walk around Homeland Park with community leaders talking about, you know, things that we could do to improve the community there. You know, to me, that's preparedness, you know, at the highest level. That's getting the community engaged, everybody knowing. And it gives me the opportunity to talk about what to do in active assailant thing, event. Uh, uh, it talks, uh, teaches folks what to do if you have a winter storm, you know, how to build a, uh, a kit, uh, you know, to be prepared for that. What to do if your house catches on fire. You know, so when we have these events, we're always doing that. We're promoting that on our TV channel. Uh, the county has a local government channel on 193. We have the Anderson County ACTV on YouTube. And we're also putting out emergency preparedness messages in that. And we're partnering with folks like the YMCA to talk about, you know, uh, how to be safe when you're swimming. You know, we don't want any folks to drown. We usually have four or five drownings a year here. And, you know, recently we've seen a decline in that because of, uh, I believe, a lot of the safety training and swimming training that we're doing through different agencies across the community. In addition to all the ordinary things, there's some big things. You mentioned tornadoes and ice storms in the winter and things that people don't think about. But one of the things a lot of people, particularly newcomers of the area, are not aware of is our proximity to a major nuclear station. Well, we're a host county to the Oconee Nuclear Center. And what a host county means is if in the event that the Oconee Nuclear Center has a event with a release and have to do evacuation of that area, part of those citizens from Oconee County will come to different emergency centers that we've established, reception centers here in Anderson County. So we're basically relocating that disaster from there to here as far as the population, and we got to deal out with the fallout of that, quite literally. Uh, you know, how to decon those folks, how to feed those folks, how to shelter those folks, uh, you know, how to monitor them for ongoing uh, radiological problems and, and make sure that, you know, uh, their health's not declined. And, and that, that there's no cross-contamination occurring and things like that. 
So there's a process for that. We we train with uh, the Oconee Nuclear folks and uh, our surrounding counties, uh, Oconee, Pickens, Anderson, and Greenville, uh, work to uh, provide that training and actually go through a drill and exercise procedure uh, biannually that is actually graded by FEMA. And uh, we've always had tremendous success with our HAZMAT team doing a really good job with that. But, you know, it's something that we have to kind of always uh, modify and plan for. Uh, we just uh, was at some training uh, about what the new standards for that is. And, and they're, they're always going up. You know, Fukushima taught us a lot of new lessons, the things that we'd never thought of before. And the nuclear industry has done a lot of things to, to make, you know, their, their facilities more hardened uh, from the lessons learned there. And, you know, so we have to work together as a team, you know, to keep the community safe that way too. And you mentioned hazmat. That's another one of those things. I know in the last couple of years we've had multiple events at the same time. But you have to be prepared in advance for those or you're in trouble, right? That's right. You know, you got to have a lot of training that goes on annually uh, with our hazmat team. And, you know, they're a group of volunteers. We work, work with the local industry, you know, to find out what their needs are and to kind of stay on top of that and have drills and exercises, uh, you know, with uh, the local emergency planning committee. And so there's a lot of things that's always going on here. At emergency we had that Paris. gas and acid leak at the same time. Uh, yeah, we had um, uh, a rupture and a... In the colonial pipeline and it, it caused uh, issues uh, you know that you know really affected you know a large uh, area there at the same time when we had a um, event dealing with air gas on the interstate so you know uh, sometimes you have to divide and conquer and have a plan to do that you know, last year, one of our biggest... Which already event, had plans in place, so y'all were... That, that's y'all right. what to roll out when it happened. And it's an all-hazard approach to emergencies, and, and basically that's what, you know, worked. We also, that same summer, had the uh, loss of water, uh, which caused a lot of issues for the hospital, and we had to work with our volunteer fire departments to buy continuous water supply for the hospital and go into that emergency operations plan. And, uh, which avoided evacuation which, of the hospital. Exactly. And anytime you evacuate the hospital, you save li- I mean, anytime you avoid evacuating the hospital, you do save lives. Because right. a lot of those patients are so fragile, if you try to move them, you know, I have ICU units and CCU units, you know, they, they may not be stable enough to do that. The other thing is all our hospitals in this region stay so busy and full, they're almost at capacity all the time. So a lot of times there's no place to move people to. That's true. What what goals you got for the next few months for emergency services? Well, one thing is to plan for September for Emergency Preparedness Month and have a lot of public education and things that people can do to promote emergency preparedness, active sale-up plans, uh, you know, get communities uh, stay engaged in that because I think that's one of our, our threats. I think another threat is an ice storm. Uh, we'll work for an, uh, a drill uh, that we're going to do uh, in, in September that's actually just going to talk about ice storm emergencies and how to open shelters for that. We work with our partners with Red Cross, United Way, and the Salvation Army on uh, uh, planning for that because we got some changeover in leadership. We've got uh, some new Salvation Army leadership coming in, and we'll be working with them to do that in, in September so we'll be prepared for the winter. Uh, of course, we'll always do our winter weather summit. Kind of kick off and review our plans with emergency responders. We're also looking at do, redoing a web page uh, in our app a little bit so that uh, uh, we've, we've actually got some interns from Anderson University the uh, programs there that's going to be working with us during the summer to do that. So, got a big summer planned uh, 
and uh, we'll, we'll work help keep the community safe. You mentioned website. Your website is one of the quickest ways to find out information about all you do, right? That's right. And it's www.andersoncountyes.com. And also your own Facebook. That's so right. So people can get up-to-date stuff there if you're looking for... And we try to bundle our stuff uh, with the county through ACTV and put the messages out. And a lot of our commercials are emergency preparedness through the um, I mean, through the U.S. Fire Administration, through FEMA, uh, through Clemson Extension and DNR. You know, about getting those emergency messages out, you know, ahead of time. And we also, you know, I ask people, you know, you can go either to our website or to the Anderson County Television. If we do have a, a big countywide emergency, we not only put out emergency alerts, but we also will have information breaking through that television channel. All right. Well, we'll catch up again before September, which is going to be before you know it. Here That's we're, right. We're into May. I appreciate it, Taylor. Thanks a lot, Greg. Thank appreciate you. it. Emergency service has been such an important part of Anderson County, and I worry that uh, a lot of people don't recognize that they're prepared in this. Most of it, as we mentioned in the interview, goes unnoticed because the, when disasters don't help, people don't realize that they've got plans in place. I even feel like if you listen to the three interviews with our sheriff candidates, uh, the two newcomers don't seem to fully understand the role of emergency services in Anderson, and especially how it's mostly funded by Homeland Security. So. I'm just hoping as we move ahead, whoever sheriff, if uh, Sheriff Skipper understands it because he's been around it and he's been a part of it. And if uh, Chad McBride or Jeremy Pickens is elected, I hope they get a better grip on what emergency services does. If you don't believe Anderson is the leader in this field, call Greenville, Charleston, Rock Hill and ask them about our emergency services folks. Uh, I know they're glad that we're here and I know that they're always keeping a look at uh, the future ideas to make uh, Anderson a better place. They've got some really good innovative ideas that he was not ready to talk about on the record yet. And also know that Greenville and a couple other places are already asking to make changes to, to do things that are more like our emergency services here in Anderson. So I want to give them, you know, a really big shout out. Speaking of keeping us safe, though, I do want to give a huge shout out to a couple of folks at the Anderson uh, area YMCA for saving the life of 81 year old uh, at the, the Y this week. Um, Operations Director Wally Weathers, who I've known forever since he started at the Y years ago, immediately took action, and he said because he was prepared from his training, he, along with a staff member, Angel Carter, were able to save Sam Anderson's life. Uh, Wally and Angel, just another example of folks who are doing something in Anderson County to make it a better place to work and live, and I'm sure Sam Anderson's family agrees. Good job, Wally. Good job, Angel. I appreciate you all taking the time to prepare for such things, and when they happen, being ready to act. And finally, we're only a couple of weeks from the primaries. This week, the three candidates for sheriff are going to face each other twice, once at Tucker's and for breakfast, a breakfast forum on Thursday morning, and then later Thursday at 6 at Tri-County Tech. So they're going to have a busy day. If you haven't heard the interviews, all three of them are in past podcasts. You can look on AndersonObserver.com, or you can find it on iTunes or other places. Just search Anderson Observer Podcast, and you'll find it on, search it on Google. There are other offices up for grabs as well, and we'll have more on that next week. I know next week I will have an interview with another of the candidates for the solicitor's office, David Wagner. He'll be he'll join us. And also next week we've got some updates on all sorts of other things that are going on in Anderson County and around our area. I know you want to tune in for that. Hope you'll join us again on the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust next week. And until then, get out and do something to make Anderson a better place. Thank you.